We're continuing in our Revelation series. This is, our, this is week number two, so if you missed last week, you can listen to that online. It is an introduction to the book of Revelation. Uh, and we move this week to the letters to the churches, to the seven churches. And I, uh, I have been working long and hard to try to figure out how to preach through the letters to the seven churches. Um, as soon as I decided that I would preach Revelation, preach through Revelation here, I knew that I didn't want to spend seven weeks going through that, through them, because we want to get to the good stuff, right? We want to get to the lakes of fire and um, the exciting stuff and, and understand what the message of Jesus is in those in chapters 4 through 22. But we have these letters to the seven churches, and I didn't want to take seven weeks, so I looked at lots of different ways to do it in two or three weeks. Um, and I finally, it took, it took me, it, it's, it's really been about two months, and it wasn't until the middle of this week that I realized I needed to do it all at once. So we are going to look at all seven letters. That's two chapters of Revelation this morning. That's Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. Uh, that is 51 verses, something like that. And, um, it, and the hardest part is going to be um, reading through it. Um, I think once we start talking, it'll, it'll make more sense. But the hard part will be reading through it at the start. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to read all two chapters. I'm going to read both chapters. And, uh, and, and so a few tips about how to stay listening um, to a preacher when he's just reading. Um, you get distracted. You, it'll happen. You will. You say, nope, I'm going to pay attention all the way through. But your mind will wander, and that's okay. As soon as you realize your, mind's wand- your mind has wandered, say, oh, I wandered. Now I can listen again. Um, and, and that's all right. Um, so so don't, don't worry about that. Don't, don't uh, get beat up about it. And, um, and if you find it's too much, we're going to talk through them. So that's okay too. Um, there is good biblical precedent for doing this uh, because the churches, the seven churches that Jesus introduces us to, they are representative of all the churches. Now there were more than seven churches in Asian Minor in the first century. Um, but, but Jesus chose these seven churches to be a representative of what churches are facing. And these were real churches that were facing real issues that we'll talk about. Um, but they also represent the church, um, and they, they point to what the church, the whole church, all the people of God, and they also point to what a particular church, like River's Edge. Now, the danger that I think a lot of pastors in particular face, and, and you guys as well, is to begin to say, oh, well, which, which church are we? And, and, and you can do that, but the problem with doing that is to say, that I'm not like those other churches. The reality is, is that we have all those problems. We have all the problems that each of the seven churches have, and we have all of the things, all the promises that those seven churches get. And so I want us to hear all of that to, um, in, as, we, as we think about what the message is to the churches. Um, Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says that to each church. And, he, and, and what he says there is plural, churches. So he who has an ear, 
let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, but it's also a challenge. It's a challenge because it says, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Are you willing to be challenged by Jesus in the way that you live your life? Are you willing to be challenged by Jesus in the choices that you make? The promise that we read in the beginning of chapter one is that you are blessed when you read this out loud. Uh, anybody do that this week? You don't have to raise your hands. Um, I didn't. I did not. Um, I did not read this to my family this week. So take that as a confession. Also to say that you're not alone if you didn't either. How, let's do that this week. Let's, let's, um, let's read this out loud uh, in our homes this week. We're blessed when we do it. Um, and so he who has an ear... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Starting in Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. And to the angels of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but a synagogue of Satan, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who, have, who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on, the, on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. 
I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceeded the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the children and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you as your words deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you, have, what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And, the, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. you have still, but you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one, will, and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angels of the church in Laodicea, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. 
Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Please pray with me. Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, ears to hear Jesus at work in our midst, Jesus speaking to us, Jesus showing us the truth of who he is. Father, give us that spirit, move amongst us, open our minds, our hearts, our ears, make us hear, show us Jesus, it's in his name that we pray, amen. How do you cope? How do you deal with the troubles of life? How do you make it through day by day? Or what are you looking forward to? What is it that you are most excited about? What is it that you can't wait for? Or what are you afraid of? What is the worst thing that can happen? The seven churches, they, they can be grouped into three different categories. And, and, and what it is is three different approaches to those questions. What do you hope for? What, what are you excited about? What are you afraid of? Um, the, first, the first group, the first camp, would be pleasure and comfort. And the answer for what are you excited about, it's the next thing that brings pleasure or comfort. The second group is, is it's the group of, of duty. It's a group of doing the right thing. And that's how they cope. They get through by doing the right thing. And the third group is a group of despair. And you may say, that's, well, that's a strange way to answer the question of where is my hope. But in that group, they don't find hope. They don't have hope. Um, and so they, they live in despair without hope. And it's often a choice. So where, where is your hope? Now you know the right answer. You, you know that the, your hope is in Jesus. You, you, you would confess that. You would say it. You believe it. And it's true. But what I want to ask is, is where do you live functionally? Like where do you actually place your hope? What is it? And, and to figure that out, you have to really answer these questions. How do you deal with the troubles that this world hands out? What is it that you're looking forward to? How do you get through how do you move forward in life? What are you excited about? What are you afraid of? If, you're, if you will honestly answer these questions, then you'll find where you have instead placed your hope. You may claim that your hope is Jesus, but your actions and the way that you live your life will point to where you're living functionally. What I want to do is call us back to Jesus, and to do that, we need to look honestly 
at where you live functionally and what you put your hope in. It's only then that the hope that Jesus provides will make any difference in your life. It's only then that you'll be able to hear what Jesus says to the churches. So the first group so is the churches of Pergamum and Thyatira. And if, if, you're, if you're looking along, the, the church in Pergamum begins in chapter 2, verse 12, and then Thyatira directly follows that. And their, their answers to how the pleasures of this world will sound very familiar to you. Chapter 2, verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, Obviously, Balaam and Balak and the Nicolaitans don't sound familiar to you. I've read them, studied them, had to look again this week. I had to keep looking up the Nicolaitans because I kept forgetting. I would read it, and then I would do more study, and I have to read it again. Balak, Balaam, Nicolaitans, they aren't familiar to you. But what they are, what they would be familiar to is a first century Jew who has studied the Word of God, who knew it well, they remember the story from Numbers where Balak, the Moabite king, had a false prophet, Balaam, who led the people of God astray through sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. Why does this sound familiar to us? Because that's our culture, right? Sex and food. Turn the TV on today. What do you see a lot of? You see a lot of food shows. And you see in every other show some depiction of sex. That's why it's familiar to us. Thyatira, the charge is similar. Chapter 2, verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now whether Jezebel is an actual person or just pointing to a particular type of person, it doesn't really matter. And it says, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So what was happening in both Pergamum and Thyatira is that the people of God, the people in the churches, because remember, this is written to Christians. The people of God, were in, they were engaged in the worship of other gods. And in that worship, there was food sacrificed to those idols. And also, there was some type of sexual activity going on as a part of the worship. Now, we don't do that. We don't go to worship some other god and where there's food and sex. Instead, we just worship food and sex. We've, we've taken out saying that this is the god we worship, and we've substituted just the practices of making food and sex our worship. And, and what has happened in that is what we've done, and I'm talking about our culture and we're affected by our culture. In a minute, I want to point out how, how we have participated in this. Is, is what we've done is we've made an ultimate thing. We've made a, I'm sorry, we've made a good thing an ultimate thing. Right? So, so food is good. Everybody knows that, right? It's clear. Everybody would agree. Food is good. And good food is really good. And we really want good food. And we eat good food, and we're like, I need more good food. That was so good, give me more. And so one slice of pie 
becomes another slice of pie, right? Because we can't, we're not satisfied. That was, we want to be satisfied, so we, we eat more. And, and I, I have fallen into this trap. Of course, you know, I'll say, oh, I want a bigger bowl of ice cream. I want more ice cream. I want another, that pie was so good, I want more. And I don't stop, and I say, thank you, God, for this good gift of pie, right? And it is, it's a good gift, but instead, what I do is I say, give me more pie. Right? We, we all do that. And in fact, often one of the things that I look forward to is a nice meal. Right? We, and, and, or I'm going to go check out that new great restaurant. No? And that is where my functional hope is, is in food. I worship, I've, I've, I've tried to make food, which is a good thing, into an ultimate thing. Our culture does the same thing with sex. We see that everywhere, where sex becomes the ultimate things. It becomes the goal of the way people live their lives. Sex is a good thing. We know that it's a good thing. It is a good thing that's given to us by our Father in Heaven for a man and a woman in marriage. It's a good thing. But even in marriage, even in the context of marriage. Now, I'm, I'm not claiming that. I'm, I'm not pointing fingers saying somebody in here is, is fornicating. Maybe you are. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that even in marriage, we can make sex into an ultimate thing. And so with our spouse, we might pursue sex because we just want to be satisfied. And that's the problem. That's, the, that's what Pergamum and Thyatira, in their pursuit of pleasure and comfort, and sex and food do, do both. And remember, that's the charge against both of them. Eat food, sacrifice to idols, sexual immorality. Servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food, sacrifice to idols. That's the charge against both of them. Is they want to make sex and food into the ultimate thing. And that's what we do. We want to make these things ultimate We, we, we want to make them the most important because we're, we're never satisfied. These things, they're good gifts. They weren't meant to satisfy. That's why we're never satisfied with them because they can't. Food and sex cannot satisfy you. It's impossible. You will never be satisfied. You can eat the best food until you die and you will not be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied. They are good gifts, and we should enjoy them, but we can't make them the ultimate thing. Now, there's a dark side to this as well. There's a dark side to, to making these things the ultimate thing. And the dark side is we, we make them to cope. And, and, and I think most of us, if not all of us, have used food to cope at one point or another. We're like, I, 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 I feel lousy, so I'm going to eat the whole pint of Ben and Jerry's. You know, the whole pint of Ben and Jerry's, that's more than one serving. I think it says like three or four on there, right? But, we, but to cope, we eat the whole thing. But it gets darker still. And, and I would be remiss if I, to stand up here talking through these passages about Pergamon and Thyatira to not mention um, the blight of pornography on our culture. Um, and that is the dark side of trying to make a good thing, sex, into an ultimate thing. And it never satisfies. Even in our context, which is right here in this room, 
um, with our demographic, which is you guys, um, there's probably someone in here who is in the grips of pornography. Um, and, and I tear up because it's heartbreaking, because it creates such shame. Uh, and, 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 I, and, and I know this shame. It used to be my story. And so what I want to say is if you are that person, if you, if you are someone who is in the grips of pornography, um, get help. You can't, because what, what it does is it makes you uh, afraid to breathe a word of it because of the shame that's involved, especially in, in Christian culture. Um, and so you suffer alone and it just creates more shame. Um, uh, if you're a guy, talk to me. If, if you're a woman and you're gripped by this, talk to Robin. Um, we, we want, <laughs> we long for you to know freedom from this. Um, so so whether, whether that's you or not, um, for all of us, um, we're trying, what we're trying to do is make a good thing into an ultimate thing. So what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say to those who are trying to cope, to make like work with food and sex? Um, he says there's consequences. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 21. This is to the church in Thyatira. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation until they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Um, the call is to repent, and there are, but there are consequences. Uh, the, the, I think the biblical story that illustrates this uh, perfectly well is the story of David and Bathsheba. Um, David commits adultery with Bathsheba, um, and he repents. We, we read about it. It is, the, it is the pattern for our repentance in Psalm 51. Um, but there's still consequences. That child dies, and, and the sword never leaves his house. We see it throughout his story, particularly with his son Absalom, um, who ends up being killed by David's army. And so, there's, so God, um, God forgives um, God redeems, but there are consequences. Um, but, but he says to us, repent. Two, chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, repent. Turn. Turn from trying to make these good gifts into something that's ultimate. To make them something that's satisfied. They never will. Now, some of you right now, might be feeling a little self-righteous. You might be feeling like, I've never looked at pornography. I don't really care about good food that much. I've never tried to make food into an ultimate thing, our sex. If that's you, you may be in danger of falling into the same trap that the churches of Ephesus, Sardis, and Laodicea fell into. And that's the truth the trap of self-righteous duty. Here's what Jesus had to say to charge against them. Chapter 2, verse 4 to Ephesus. I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. To Sardis, chapter 3, verse 1. I know your works. You have, been, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. 
to Laodicea, chapter 3, verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, that is an interesting charge to someone who's doing the right thing, right? Because he doesn't charge them with sexual immorality or eating food sacrificed to idols. What he says is, you've forgotten love. Well, that's what, that's what the, um, the churches of Pergamum and Thyatira were looking for. They were looking for love in all the wrong places, right? But, but, the, but the, the charge to Ephesus is, you've forgotten love. You do everything right, but you've forgotten love. To Sardis, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're not. Laodicea, you're either cold nor hot, lukewarm. And I I think to understand this, I've considered, to understand these two groups of churches, one, the uh, Thyatira and Pergamon, versus Ephesus, Sardis, and Laodicea, is to think about uh, the story of the two sons in Luke 15. If you've been around church for long at all, you know this story. You know the story of the two sons. The younger brother, he ran away. He was called the prodigal. The older brother, he stayed and did everything right. The younger brother, that's like Thyatira and um, Pergamum. They ran away. They, they chased after, he chased after food and sex. Ephesus, Sardis, Laodicea, they stayed at home. But they didn't realize that they were just as far away from the Father. Their coping mechanism was to do the right thing. They had forgotten love. And so Jesus' charge to them is the same. Isn't that remarkable? You do all the right thing, but you forget love, then you are charged to do the same thing. Charged the same way for those who are out having sex and worshiping food. If you forget love, if you are not alive, if you are not listening, if you are lukewarm, the charge is the same to repent. He says, Turn from your self righteousness. You've fallen just as far as the younger brother. And honestly, if this, is, if this is you, if this is us, it's harder for us to find our way back to the Father. It's harder because we're not, we're not going to hit bottom. We're not going to hit bottom like the younger brother, like the prodigal son. We're not going to get to the place where we despise ourselves. We're neither hot nor cold. And Jesus does take his lamp away from these churches. There's a third group. Some of you might be thinking right now, I'm, I, I'm not pursuing sex or drugs or alcohol or rock and roll or food. Um, you think, I don't really enjoy food or sex. or um, I, I don't really do the right thing either. I don't feel good about myself. And, uh, I feel overwhelmed with life. I don't know how to make it through. I, 
I don't have any energy. And, and, and what this is, is it's some level of depression, whether it's like a minor, um, it's a, you know, a period of months of being down, or whether it's clinical depression that needs to be treated um, by a doctor because of chemical imbalances in the brain. But, but what it does is it places you in the same place of the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia. Chapter 2, verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Chapter 3, verse 8, I know that you have but little power. This is, this is Jesus' words to Smyrna and Philadelphia. He says, I know. I know how you're suffering. Now, eight times in these two letters, Jesus says, I know. And to these churches, to Smyrna and Philadelphia, there's no correction. There's no call to repentance. There's just Jesus saying, I know. I know how hard it is. I know what you have suffered. I know the trials that you are going through. I know the despair that you feel. Jesus looks at you and says, I know. And he says to the one who conquers. He says this to each church. He says to the one who conquers. What, is, what does that mean, to conquer? We think about conquer. It means you know, you're going you're to land on the beach and you're going to plant your flag and, and this is going to be mine. But remember, Jesus turns all this upside down. Remember, we're being led by a lamb who was slaughtered. We're being, we're being led by a poor carpenter. And so he turns us the world's understanding of how we make sense of this upside down. And so conquer means repent. To turn away from making a good thing an ultimate thing. Turn away from just doing the right thing and instead turn back to love, turn to Jesus. And, or hold fast to those who are suffering, who are, who are struggling, who find no hope. Hold fast to the promises. Who is it that speaks these words? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life, the words of him who has sharp two-edged sword, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. The words of Jesus. This is Jesus that is speaking to us to turn, to hold fast, to find hope, to conquer through repentance. And then what does he promise? Who is it that's calling you to this, to repentance? to turn away from your duty, to turn away from making a good thing an ultimate thing. It's Jesus. You, you hear the call to repent. I hope you have. Who you has ears to hear? You hear the call to repent, but, but don't miss the one who's calling you to repent. And know these promises. This is what God promises you. When you see Jesus and you hear Jesus, I will. Jesus says, I will grant her to eat of the tree of life 
which is the paradise of God. I will give you the crown of life. I will give her some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. I will give authority over the nations. I will give him the morning star. You will be clothed thus in white garments. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will grant her to sit with me on my throne. Jesus promised that you will sit with him on the throne. That that is your place when you're in Christ, when you've turned, when you've conquered, when you repent, when you hold fast to Jesus. Let's do that now. Pray with me. Father, we, we beg you to show us Jesus, show us his glory, show us his power. Show us that he is the one who can do these things, who can give us hope, who can make us turn away, turn away from our sin, turn away from self-righteousness. Give us Jesus. Do that even now in Jesus' name. Amen.